Geeks and Creators podcast. I am Dana Anderson. And I'm Kate. We are sisters venturing on a journey to share our ups and downs in this thing we call life and how we navigate those highs and lows. Each week, we will share interviews and practical tools for getting through the craters of our lives while still striving for or working towards the peaks. Welcome to the very first episode of the Peaks and Creators podcast. Today I'll be starting us off by diving into my backstory, which is full of ups and downs, which I'm sure a lot of you will be able to relate to. Um, And I'm excited to get into all of that and share that with you today. In a future episode, Kate will share her story as well. Uh, So let's get started and dive right in. to first provide a warning to anyone for whom this topic might be too sensitive. My story involves pregnancy loss. For some who have experienced it, you may find comfort in knowing you are not alone. For others, I realize it may be too emotional and hard to listen to. With that said, here is my story. From the time I was a little girl, I was already bucking the system and breaking the mold. I hated dresses, loved Zubas and full sweatsuits. I had zero friends that were girls. Well, some of them thought they were my friends and would come up to me at recess and be like, I am so jealous that you get to be in the huddle with Max. And I was like, I mean, he is right over there if you want to talk to him. I just didn't comprehend. I tolerated them, but most of my friends were guys that would come to my house and ask me to go to the park to play flag football or tennis or basketball, whatever the season was. I guess I was classified as a tomboy because, you know, girls can't like sports and just be girls. Of course this is not true, but it was the 90s. I questioned everything as a kid. I never really bought into religion. Now I don't particularly have a problem with it, so long as it isn't shoved down my throat. But even as a kid, I was like, you expect me to believe a man lived in a whale. Interesting. It didn't take long for me to foil the farce stories of all the make-believe characters surrounding holidays either. And when I did figure that out at like age four or something, I straight up lectured my parents for lying to me. I was so mad and asked them what else they had been lying to me about. Let's just say I was a joy to raise. Thanks mom and dad for embracing it and not killing me. I always had a curious mind. My older brother Josh and I would spend literally hours as kids watching ants, just be ants, on the sidewalk out front of our house and our neighbor's houses just to see what all they do. I'm sure our neighbors, not really knowing why we spent hours outside staring at the sidewalk, thought we were pretty special. And we were. After third grade, my family moved to the small town that both of my parents graduated from and where we had more extended family. The move was prompted by the passing of both of my mom's parents, so my grandparents, within the course of a year, which was of course tragic. They were seriously the best. This move kind of gave me whiplash too because I went from having all guy friends to a town where guys and girls at this age just truly did not talk to each other unless they had a crush. So on my first day of school there, I was bombarded by all the girls. It was the most bizarre thing for me. I mean, they were nice and I liked a lot of them, but it was so, so weird. And then of course I had a bajillion first cousins there because my mom is the youngest of nine siblings and my dad the second youngest of five siblings. 
I remember one of my first recess sessions in my new town. I was playing with my cousin Dustin, who is my age, and a teacher came up to us and was all like, ooh, do you guys like each other? And I was so put off, like, lady, calm down. He is my cousin, and we are in the fourth grade. Get a life. Quit watching Lifetime, or maybe watch more of it, I don't know, but no recess romance here, sorry. Small towns, gotta love them. At the age of 12, life took a turn for my family and things got serious. My dad had been experiencing some foot pain and numbness. No big deal, right? Probably a pinched nerve? Wrong. On February 18th, 1998, it was my sister Kate's third birthday and also the day my dad was diagnosed with MS or multiple sclerosis. I remember sitting there at our house for Kate's birthday party and seeing all of the adults be very melancholy. Some of them even kind of looked angry. It was a very strange dichotomy, a child's birthday party and unveiling of an awful disease. What's next? None of us knew what to expect. I hadn't even ever heard of MS. It was such a punch to the gut. The doctor had told us that it wasn't a disease you die from, but one that you live with. Okay, great. Like, what does that mean? People started putting him on the prayer chains at local churches, and word was buzzing around that my dad had three months to live. Untrue, but hearing this as a 12-year-old was unsettling to say the least. Again, gotta love small towns. There was so much information to sift through. I became obsessed with researching the disease. I remember Josh professing to my parents to not worry because he was going to find a cure, and I know he truly meant it. He's a fixer. We all just wanted it to go away. It didn't. I could see the mounds of stress just sitting on my mom's shoulders and the worry in my dad's eyes. From that moment on, my identity shifted to primarily being a caregiver and no longer just a kid. Anyone who has a parent with a chronic illness knows how difficult navigating life can be. My dad still very much just wanted to be the dad, which of course he was, but the reality is that MS changed all of us and the entire dynamic of our family. We often describe the next several years as being in survival mode. I was my mom's right hand. I had to grow up fast and fill in wherever and whenever my parents needed me to. When most of my peers were worrying about whose house they were going to stay at next, I was changing diapers, helping my younger brother with his homework, cooking suppers, and holding down the fort while my mom worked what felt like a million jobs. The constant weight of worry was mentally and emotionally debilitating. Josh turned to substances to numb the pain. I can't speak for him, so I won't try to here, but it was a hard road for all of us to walk. We tried as much as we could to shield my younger siblings, Ryan and Kate, from the realities of what life was. But of course, they were both affected in their own ways too. My dad's a fighter though. Life knocked him down several times, and every time he got back up. He continued to work and went back to school to be a teacher because he knew he wouldn't be able to do a ton of physical work anymore. School became a blur. I was just going through the motions. I still managed to get good grades and graduated high school with honors, but I was not forward thinking really. I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. How could I be thinking of just me when from the time I was 12 years old up until that point, I played such a pivotal role in keeping our ship from sinking. The thought of now leaving to live my own life was paralyzing and felt very selfish. My parents never made me feel like I couldn't leave in fact, they encouraged me to go on and do the things I wanted and needed to do for me, but again, I didn't even know what those things were. I still had no plan for my future, 
the last few months of my senior year of high school. I dreaded getting that age-old question that every senior gets, the so what now, from what feels like every relative and curious townsperson. A lot of my classmates were pretty studious and had plans, and I honestly felt kind of dumb for not having any myself. I knew I was college material, but I truly felt very, or I truly spent very little time thinking about any of that. I got sick of not having a good answer though, so I eventually buckled down and came up with a plan. I chose a college to attend based on two factors. The first being that a friend of mine was also going to that college, and the second is that it was a lake town. Great reasons to choose a college, right? But hey, I had a plan. I knew that I would be career-oriented and wanted to establish that before anything else in life. In fact, I remember saying that to one of my friends one day a few weeks before graduating. So let's flash back to a few months prior quick to around prom time. I wasn't planning on going, it wasn't my sort of thing. I wasn't seeing anyone and wasn't interested. I always found it fascinating how in small towns it seemed like everyone had dated everyone by the time graduation came. It seemed so silly to me. I had opportunities to date in high school, but chose not to and was pretty glad I hadn't. I felt like it saved me from lots of unnecessary drama. I was able to get along with and be friends with everyone. There was no awkwardness for me. So anyway, I was fine with my decision to not go to prom, but one of my friends was insistent that I went. I spent a lot of time with her and her then boyfriend, and they were trying to set me up with her boyfriend's friend, who also happened to be a friend and classmate of Josh's. He was someone that I had known since childhood. They wanted me to ask him to go. I thought this plan was ridiculous because he was in his first year of college. Why the heck would he want to go when I didn't even want to go, and it was my senior prom? We started all hanging out together on the weekends, and I eventually caved to the pressure and asked. He said yes. I asked because, unlike most guys I knew, he didn't try so hard. I don't mean that in a bad way. He put in effort. What I mean is that he didn't have any stupid one-liners or any nonsense like that that I absolutely hate. He was genuine and kind, and we actually had a lot in common. We had started talking a lot on the phone during the week and could talk for hours. I knew he didn't really want to go to prom either, but I did sense that he liked me, so he obliged. So back to my conversation with my friend about wanting to establish a career before anything else. I was telling her about seeing this guy and that I liked him and was having fun, but that I really didn't want anything serious to come of it, but I also knew that I couldn't help how I felt. So I said I would just wait and see how it plays out. Well, the mystery guy's name is Aaron and has been my life partner for the last 14 years. So I guess my friend was on to something when she set us up for prom. Two kids later and a lot of life lived, which I will get into here soon, we are still figuring this thing called life out together. We spent that first summer after I graduated high school having a blast, but then it was time for me to go to that college that I had oh so thoughtfully picked out. I didn't really want to go. I again was feeling guilty for leaving my parents, and then I also had this new relationship that I'd be moving away from. Granted, only a couple hours away, but still. I forged ahead and went through the motions of packing up my car and hitting the road with my mom traveling close behind to help me move in. We arrived at the college, found my residence hall, and moved all of my belongings up three flights of stairs and into my room with my high school friend. It didn't feel right right off the bat. Again, for most people at this point in their life, they are more than ready for independence and to get away from their parents. For me, 
yes, I was ready somewhat for my own life, but I had a different relationship with my parents. I was on some level an equal, a third parent. So it was just a weird feeling being dropped off at college. I didn't know how to process it at the time or what else to do. So I stayed for a little bit. My declared major was Spanish. I had taken three years of Spanish in high school and even traveled to Spain on a school trip. I think I thought that maybe I would be a translator for the, for the United Nations or something like that, knowing full well that I probably wouldn't do that, but it sounded cool, right? My first full day was a mess. I woke up and rushed to class, barely made it on time. I sat through the teacher doing introductions and talking about the syllabus to determine that I was in the wrong class. Whoops. What a way to start out. Then I had an algebra class where the teacher was walking around barefoot and very, very into math, which I like math too, but it was definitely intense. And then she slammed us with way more homework than I had ever been given at one time, and I didn't even have the book to the course yet. The next day, I had a tennis class that I was ill-prepared for, and a Spanish class where the teacher only spoke Spanish. I was so lost. Beyond that, my heart was just not in it. I lived on a co-ed floor of the residence halls and was so annoyed by the typical college kid. I just could not relate. I had already had way more responsibility in my life than any of them could even imagine at this point. I didn't fit in and I didn't want to. Day three, I got some notification about money I owed the college for the rest of my tuition above loans and that was it for me. I was totally overwhelmed and felt like I didn't belong there. I knew my parents likely didn't have the money or it would have been a hardship and I immediately knew I could not stay and waste funds if I didn't know what the heck I was doing there. So on day three of my first college experience, I dropped out. The next morning, I packed up my stuff and moved it back down those three flights of stairs and into my car all by myself and headed back home. Coincidentally, around this same time, my dad had went full-time at the college he was working for, which meant that I would get tuition for free. Free was good to me, so plan B was to choose the program that best suited me from my dad's school and do that. It was at least something and I would be closer to home. I spent the next couple years completing that degree. It was just a medical office associate's degree. I worked using it for another few years registering patients in an emergency room, which was interesting to say the least. After a while though, I was completely unfulfilled in that job. I started to entertain the idea of going back to school, but what for? At this point in my life, I was completely debt free, so it was a big deal for me to decide to go to a university where I would have to take out loans. I took all the necessary steps and applied, got accepted, and enrolled for classes. I started out as an elementary education major, which is kind of funny to me looking back because it just does not suit me at all. But I made my way into my chosen path and kind of came full circle back to my interests from my childhood. In May of 2014, I graduated summa cum laude with two degrees. The first was a Bachelor of Science degree in Geology, and the second a Bachelor of Arts degree in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. I am a scientist. This was by far the most thrilling accomplishment of my life yet. It was a beast to finish, but so worth it. I got to do some of the coolest things throughout my college years. I was involved with research projects for both departments, plus I got to meet my tribe, my people people who think like me and get excited about the same things as me. 
and I even got employed for and completed a seasonal employment stint with the USGS prior to graduating. They are one of the largest federal science organizations that exist. This was another major milestone in my life. I was at a peak. I did, however, have some serious burnout by the time I graduated. Two science disciplines is a heavy workload. For every science class I had, I also had an associated lab. Plus, I did research and was active in a few groups on campus, even acting as a co-president to the geology club. It was a busy time. I had another seasonal job lined up prior to graduating, but my caregiver role to my family was also tugging at me. Plus, I was experiencing that feeling of burnout like I mentioned. For various reasons, I ended up turning down the job I had lined up and opted to take the summer off and spend it with my parents. Erin and I at this time had lots of conversations about what we really wanted to do next. Did I want to go to grad school? Did I want to just apply for more jobs in the fall and move wherever I got a job? Did we want to finally move to the West Coast like we had talked about for years and just make things work there? We knew what we really wanted and decided to go for it. If not now, when, right? We wanted to establish a home base, someplace that we really wanted to live, and then make our careers and life work around that. Thus, we decided we would move west. We were super excited and came up with a plan to stay with family for a bit while we saved up money and made plans. I did, I did end up taking a seasonal position that fall nearby, and Erin continued to do work locally as well. It was during this time that we found out we were expecting our first child. Say what? Shocked is an understatement. We honestly didn't think we could have kids, so this was surprising to us. I was of the mindset that if we had kids, great. If we didn't, also great. It wouldn't make or break my life. Aaron definitely always wanted a family, but he also supported me in my career. We had talked about adopting at some point if we truly were unable to have kids, but it was not something we were planning in the near future. Anyway, we almost didn't even believe it right away. We were happy and excited, but also like, all right, now what? How will this change our plans? Because mind you, we weren't just planning on moving west, we were also exploring the idea of doing the whole tiny house thing. We had researched that movement for a few years now and it appealed to us. I wanted to continue to do seasonal work that would require travel. We are also minimalists, so that lifestyle appealed to us. And keeping our expenses low in life was also appealing. So now we had to scratch our heads a bit and think if we still wanted to pursue that route. And again we thought, why not? We did decide that we would stay with my parents for my entire pregnancy and through my delivery and move when baby was a few months old. Erin was also concerned that this would be the death of my career. Keep in mind that I am a scientist and that field of work can still be very challenging for women and extremely challenging for women with kids. It is not always a very family-friendly career. This is all true, but I wasn't concerned. Plus, we had already decided to take a certain period of time to do random work to save for moving, so timing was perfect in some regard to that. Fast forward, our son Creasy was born the spring of 2015, and by August we had a shipping container packed up with all of our belongings, our car packed with the rest, and we're ready to hit the road and head west. Quick side note, we had four cats and a four-month-old and a move halfway across the country ahead of us. Two hours in, we weren't sure we would make it with all the meowing and crying, but alas, we did. Anyway, we moved with no jobs lined up, no permanent housing secured. 
We just had an Airbnb booked for the first few months, a decent uh, cushion in savings and hopes and dreams. After a few days of traveling and some adventures with cats crawling into the underside of mattresses in hotels, we arrived at our destination. Our initial thought was that it smelt like piss everywhere. And we think it's the, uh, the juniper or a combo of juniper and sage. And we're used to it now, but we were like, why does it smell like urine everywhere? Anyway, aside from that, it was gorgeous, amazing mountain views, crisp air, beautiful. Our host, Jack, helped us settle into our new temporary home, which was in a prime location in our new city. We were excited and ready to get out and explore. After kicking back and enjoying the local markets, events, and sightseeing, we had to buckle down and look for work, which proved to be way more difficult than expected. Aaron is a skilled tradesman with over 13 years experience as a welder, but we moved to a touristy town, not an industrial one. There were jobs to apply to, but not a ton of them. For me, there were tons of jobs I could and did apply to, but our now five-month-old son, who was used to having me around, refused to take bottles, so I was exclusively nursing him. Those who think it is always a choice to either breastfeed or bottle feed or pump or use formula, what have you, should talk to some women about their experiences. And the more you talk to, the more you will discover that every experience is unique and it isn't always what the mom had desired or planned. Fed is best, right? So there we were. Aaron didn't have a ton of jobs to apply to. I did and did get offered one, but had to turn it down because I was being held captive by our son to keep him alive. Kind of in a pickle. Plus, we were nearing the end of our two months that we had planned for at this Airbnb. We had become friendly with the host and he was aware of our circumstances and was gracious enough to allow us to extend our stay throughout that first winter as it was the off season of when his rental was booked up anyway. We paid him a pretty penny, but he allowed us to extend our stay. Aaron did eventually land a job, but they paid him several dollars less than what he was previously making, and it was an awful work environment. He had to get a second job in the evening to make up for it. So I was alone with our son most of the time while Aaron was working. He continued to hustle and cold call companies and ask if they were hiring. He would even show up in person to ask. He finally got a lead for a good company that they might have an opening soon and they would contact him. He seriously called every week and even showed up to keep in touch with them. He did everything he could aside from basically begging for this job. A handful of months later, right before Creasy's first birthday, Aaron finally was hired by that company that gave him the pay and benefits he deserved. It felt like an eternity, but it was a big win for us. Now we had to deal with our housing situation, which was the next big dilemma. Jack had given us a deadline to move out by May. The housing and rental market here is a complete nightmare, much like most of the country. There are years, and I mean years long, waiting lists for lots of the apartment complexes, ridiculous down payments on rentals, and the requirements to qualify are just totally insane. Plus, we have four cats. A rental didn't seem like it would be the route for us. We explored buying a house prior to Aaron getting that better job. We did have some funds set aside for that, but they were dwindling by the day. We met with a mortgage lender, but they basically said, 
that we wouldn't qualify for anything worth looking at because of the wage that Aaron was getting paid. If he had been making what he was prior to moving, then we would have qualified for more, but they couldn't consider his income from his second job because it didn't have two years, or he didn't have two years of history doing it. We went back to our original idea of the tiny house. We met with a local tiny house builder and toured one of his current projects. We, we really liked what we saw, um, and then we got to searching land hosts in the area and found one. We researched funding of the project and seemed to have found some legitimate resources for that too. Things were starting to take shape. We went out and met the landowner who was located outside a nearby, even more touristy, quaint town, and we fell in love with her property. I also seemed to have a fair amount in common with her. She was a retired geologist, was into birding, and all things outdoors. It seemed like it would be a good fit. She also had some other rental units and shanties on her property that she said we could stay in while our tiny home was being built. Okay, perfect. We went for it and made the commitment to move out to her property after Creasy's first birthday. Problem solved. Creasy's birthday came and we threw a big bash for him with some family that live within a few hours and other family that happened to be visiting the state. And my mom also made it out for the big event. So we had a fun party day for him with family at our nice ritzy Airbnb. Then my mom, Erin, and I also took him to the ocean for the first time, so he woke up at the ocean on his actual birthday. Then much like in Cinderella, when everyone departed and went back home and the clock struck midnight, we had to leave. The very next day after my mom left, we had to move out of the Airbnb and into the temporary shanty. Now, let me just paint the scene here. We did not want to live in this shanty. Yes, we knew it would be temporary and it was going to be summer, so hopefully we would spend more time outdoors anyway and it would prepare us for full-time tiny house living. But when I say shanty, I sincerely mean a shed. It was, for all intensive purposes, a shed. A shed that sat within five feet or so of a Morton building. The Tin Morton building had a rectangular, approximately 200 square foot living quarters with a bathroom complete with shower, toilet and a sink, and bare cement floors. A walk-through tiny galley kitchen with no oven, but it did have a camping cooktop and a countertop oven thing and a medium-sized fridge, and then an area for sleeping towards the front. Now, this space I described is not what we were to be living in. This was to be a shared space for all of her renters to use. What we were to live in was literally the size of a garden shed with two rooms. We weren't even fully positive there was electricity in it. So if we needed to use the restroom in the middle of the night, we would have to go outside and go to the Morton building to use it. It basically would have been like glamping or glamour camping for several months with a one-year-old and four cats. Okay, so we had already moved some of our belongings onto the property ahead of time as permitted by the owner. So when we moved stuff out for our first night to stay on the property, it was already dark out because we had to do it in the evening once Aaron got off work. It was also raining, of course. So we load up our car and drive it the 30 to 40 miles and several dirt roads out to the middle of nowhere where this property was located pristine, beautiful backcountry, mostly off the beaten path. Okay, so we arrive and Leslie, the owner, meets us. 
like us, she is unsure that we should really be living in this shed with a one-year-old. So right out the gate, before we even unload our car, she says, well, you know, you can stay in the Morton Building rental unit so long as you are okay with people, with, with other people potentially coming in and out any hour of the day and you will have to pay more. It was dark, cold, rainy, and we were looking at that shed like, no way in hell are we staying in there with our cats and our son. So sure, we will gladly pay you more and live in the other unit. This unit was furnished, and by furnished I mean it had a futon in it and a small kitchen table. Okay, so now she says that will work for me, but first let's move out the futon and put it in my storage unit because you have cats and I don't want them on it. Seriously, lady? All right, I guess we get it that there is a stigma that comes with cats, but we do not have a bed. We sold it before we moved and we lived in a fully furnished Airbnb, so had no reason to buy one. But sure, strip the unit of the futon. All sorts of red flags as to how the next several months would play out. So in lieu of the futon, she so graciously gave us a mattress that was literally an inch or two thick that we could put on the floor to basically pretend like we weren't just straight up sleeping on the floor. Okay, fantastic. So she left. We finished moving some of our stuff in. She did let us use the shed to store our stuff so we didn't have to have it all piled up in the rental. So I guess that was nice. Now let's further paint the scene. This property owner had an extreme sensitivity to fragrance. She did tell us this prior to coming out and we didn't care much about it because we don't use a whole lot of scented things. So we didn't think it would be a big to do. She was adamant that we could not bring anything scented onto the property and that while we stayed there, we had to use all unscented, fragrance-free items. This included shampoo, conditioner, laundry detergent, lotions, even baby wipes. Now again, for the most part, we, were, we already did this. But I kid you not, the next morning after moving in, she made us pull out all of our products so she could sniff test them and sniffed us and gave us the 101 rundown on all the things. Now, mind you, her actual residence and house was about a half mile to a mile up the road from us. But again, her property, her rules, we would oblige. Let's further paint the scene. Okay, so we've covered the living space and the scent issue. Now, she also had a very nice rental unit closer to her house that she used as an Airbnb. It was her main source of income, so she was very particular about it. She asked if I would be interested in cleaning it occasionally if she was unavailable to do it and we could work out some sort of payment arrangement or discount on rent. Sure, I will do that. She also schooled us on her desire for us to basically stay out of sight whenever there were guests staying at the lodge. She wanted us to park our vehicle out of sight and not be outside or near that area whenever this rental was booked. Um, what? So basically, us, the people you invited to live out here full time and pay you consistent monthly rent you want us to live like squatters 
and pretend we do not exist here when the fancy people show up. Yeah, all right, got it. Anything else? Oh, and I have four dogs, and if you are interested in watching them whenever I am gone, and tending to and watering all of my millions of plants in my pond, I could work out payment and rent deduction for that too. Sure, why not? It became clear to us that she saw me as her on-property help person, available 24-7 at her beck and call because I was home with our son. We had intended on having our tiny house built and parking it on her property for an extended period of time until we bought our own land. We quickly realized that this setup was not going to work. Leslie was crazy. We adjusted somewhat and made the most of it as much as we could, but this setup definitely started to take its toll on us. Aaron was often gone working from sunup until sundown. I was a recluse on this property with Crazy Lady, staying out of sight of the normal people and avoiding her. I had hardly any cell service there. In fact, I had to stand by the door with my head tilted just so in order to receive or make calls. We were starting to lose our sanity. I was a food factory and butt-wiping machine for our son. We were really grasping at what to do and truly just trying to survive. This move west that was supposed to be everything we had talked about and had hoped for was turning into our worst nightmare. We needed to do something, and fast. Then our world shattered completely. We found out I was pregnant. This wasn't the shattering part. I will get to that in a minute. I am not a monster, but the timing was awful. We had already decided to forgo the tiny house plan in favor of trying to buy our own home again. Erin had been working at that good job for a handful of months now and would qualify for more, so we thought we would give it another shot. We found a fantastic realtor and mortgage lender that bent over backwards for us to help us get out of our dire living situation, and we started our frantic home search. Meanwhile, I spent my days clutching my stomach laying on that inch-thick, shitty mattress that lay directly on the cement floor of the Morton Building rental unit. It felt like someone had grabbed a hold of my insides and was clenching, twisting, and pulling trying to tear them out. Excruciating, debilitating pain to the point where I could barely be upright for the majority of the day. And if I was upright, it was as if I had just stumbled off of a vessel from day drinking and had a serious case of sea legs. I was wobbly, weak, and nauseous. My one-year-old was having a heyday with minimal supervision. The upside to living in under 200 square feet was that I could at least see him jumping off boxes and whatever else he climbed on. I was again alone often from sunup till sundown, isolated and suffering. This is certainly different from my first pregnancy, I thought, but I didn't think much else. I just survived day by day trying to do the bare minimum and care for our son the best I could, all the while still experiencing all of the above-mentioned symptoms every single day. The feelings never really subsided. It was very early on in the pregnancy, not even far enough to have my initial OB appointment yet. It never occurred to me that something could be wrong. I just thought I was in for a long nine months. I went ahead and scheduled that initial appointment and toughed it out until that day arrived. 
We had recently moved thousands of miles away from our families and were in a tight spot financially, so I would have to go to this appointment alone. We hadn't told anybody yet, and it was still early on, and we, didn't, we, ha we wanted to announce it in a fun way and have it be a surprise. The day of my appointment, I was talking to my mom, which I had sort of been avoiding because we talk about everything, and I didn't want to spill the beans. Well, of course, with her special mom sense, she could tell something was up. I couldn't lie to her, and plus I needed the comfort of her expertise and support, so I told her my symptoms and that I had a positive pregnancy test and was going to my first OB appointment. I sort of felt like something was off, but again, didn't let the thought linger too much as I knew all pregnancies are different. I arrived at my appointment and was taken back to the exam room. At this point, I was mostly excited to get my confirmation of a positive pregnancy and maybe some tips to help subside my nasty symptoms. I laid back, the doc prepped me with that cold ooey gel, and started the exam. She moved that wand all over my abdomen several times, saying nothing. She eventually said she would have to do the second exam to get a better look. And ladies, you know what exam that is. Oh, the joys. This exam produced the same result. She finally filled me in on her findings. I am not seeing any sign of life, she said. No fetal pole, no heartbeat. My first thought was, okay, so maybe I am not as far along as I thought? Nope. She said there is a gestational sac that's measuring eight weeks, but no embryo, no heartbeat, no fetus. We would expect to see a small dot at this point. Okay, what the heck? Why? How? I was in total shock, disbelief. It had never really occurred to me that something could be seriously wrong with this pregnancy. She could tell the shock and numbness was already setting in. She said I would need some more tests to know for sure what's going on, but that likely this was not a viable pregnancy. Ouch. She assured me that these things happen often. There was nothing I could have done and that we would know more after the blood work and other ultrasounds I now needed to get done. Aaron was at work and I didn't want to drop that bomb on him until he was done for the day. I went to pick him up and honestly just didn't really even know what to say or how to deliver the findings. He came to the car bubbly and excited to hear about how it all went, and it didn't take long for him to catch on to my mood and realize it hadn't went well. I wasn't up for talking about it as I was still processing it myself. I just informed him that the findings weren't normal and I would need further testing to determine what's going on. Now, luckily for me, my sister was scheduled to be visiting from out of state that week, and she would arrive before my results were in. I had to fill her in before she arrived, as I didn't want to spring my news on her. I wanted her to be able to prepare for what would probably be a not-so-fun vacation for her. I went and completed all the other required tests before going back to see my doctor. This time, I had Aaron and Kate with me. The diagnosis? A blighted ovum. My body had developed a gestational sac with either no embryo or the embryo was reabsorbed due to chromosomal abnormalities. Either way, I had a non-viable pregnancy. A part of me was relieved due to how I was feeling physically, but I was not prepared for the emotional journey this experience would put me on. The doctor laid out my options, doing nothing and letting my body release the contents naturally, taking a pill to aid in that process, or surgically removing the sac via procedure called a DNC. Due to the extreme symptoms I was experiencing and how remotely I lived with little to no cell service, she was concerned for me to be on my own in case I needed medical intervention. 
She felt like the tissue were the tissues were already deteriorating, but that my body wasn't picking up on that signal to release the contents, and she was concerned that I might go into septic shock. The decision was mine, but she felt in my case that the DNC was the best option, and I agreed. So I was scheduled as an add-on for surgery the very next day. That day was one of the longest days of my life. Since I was an add-on, we did not know when my surgery would be. We had to drive into town and hang around until we got the call for me to come in and register. To make matters worse, I could not eat and not to mention was still experiencing all of the awful symptoms. And to top it off, Aaron was not coping well at all. He had experienced a fair amount of loss already at this point in life, and so all he could think about was something going wrong with the surgery. All the what-ifs. He did not express it at the time, so his behavior was very misplaced to my sister and I. I felt like he wasn't showing up for me in the way I needed him to that day. It was a loss for both of us, for sure. The timing of the pregnancy was less than ideal, but we had already wrapped our heads around having two kids under two. We had already picked out names and imagined our lives with a new addition. With all that said, that day was about me and my body. If only he could have physically felt my pain, he would have put his attention on me that day, I thought. We tried to make the most of our time and showcase all the sites as this was her first time visiting us in our new state. We took her around to a few popular viewpoints. We went out to eat, or I should say, Kate and Aaron and our son got to eat while I watched. We drove around for what felt like forever waiting for that call. With every passing minute, I became more anxious and Aaron became more agitated that they hadn't called. Agitated because he wanted it to be over with but it made me agitated that he couldn't seem to realize that I was the patient, not him. The scar on our relationship from this experience was already forming. Caitlin was the buffer that we needed to navigate this very painful experience. We didn't have a play playbook for how to deal, how to cope. It was a very raw and difficult time. Finally, we decided to just go to the hospital parking lot and call in to get an estimated time. It was nearing the end of the day and we thought surely it had to be soon. When I called, they said they were about to call me and I could come in and register. Phew, I was relieved. I just wanted this to be over with. I wanted at least the physical pain to go away. Aaron became very nervous. He absolutely hates hospitals. To him, they mean death or dying. He couldn't hardly handle being in the pre-surgical room. He had to leave a few times and pace it out outside. At that point, my focus was solely on the physical pain. I was so ready for that to be over. Our son was scared seeing me hooked up to IVs and didn't know what was going on. Again, thank goodness for Aunt Kate. They finally took me back for my procedure. In, an, in a matter of hours, I woke up feeling like I could run a marathon compared to how I felt prior. Not really, but it was a crazy contrast. So that part was over. Now what? How to continue on with life? how to go back and sleep on that shitty mattress and deal with our crazy landlord. How? Just how? I was so completely broken. We both were. We were still in the house search process, but we were both numb, angry, sad, not communicating well. Things were tense and there was no clear way out. I ended up taking a trip back home to spend some time with my parents and get away from it all, clear my head. It was a nice reprieve. I had to return though and face reality. Things were still ten tense between us, but we were trying to function the best we could. It was fall now and starting to get cold at night in the, re in the rental. We had to rely on a single space heater to stay warm. 
we were starting to get worried about what we would do if we still hadn't found a house before winter. We had no intention of staying in that rental during winter. We thought our tiny house would be complete by then. We finally got some good news from our realtor after searching and searching and coming up short. There was a potential house that fit within the parameters of our loan. The only catch was that it was located in a town about 30 miles outside of our ideal city in another town that we really had no interest living in, but we were desperate. We went to look at the house and after viewing it, our realtor asked us what we thought. She had told us ahead of time that it was the only house on the market that we could really seriously consider, so we were like, well, it's really our only option right now, right? To which she said, uh, unfortunately, yes. Well then, let's put in an offer. We didn't even bat an eye. I mean, we were living in a Morton building and winter was coming. Anything was a step up. She knew how urgent things were, so she took us to a restaurant nearby to sign the papers and put in the offer. After a little back and forth, our offer was accepted. But we still had to wait to finalize all the paperwork, paperwork which they told us they would do their best to finish within 30 days. In the meantime, things got even more crazy with our landlord to the point where we had to call the cops on her one night and even sleep in our vehicle. We were so exhausted and so ready to get off that property. The official signing day came and we finally got the keys to our house on November 4th, 2016, Freedom Day. We brought an already packed U-Haul with to sign the papers. That's how ready to be out that we were. We signed the papers, got the keys, and moved in all within a handful of hours. We were so elated to be in our own place, even if it wasn't still exactly what we wanted. It was ours, and that was all that mattered. No more landlord. We still didn't have a bed, we didn't have a couch, or really any furniture. We had to camp out on the floor in sleeping bags until we got an air mattress to start with. But again, we felt so free to be off that property, we didn't really care. The newness and excitement of getting the house didn't last long. As we unpacked boxes here and there, we had to also unpack our feelings and emotions from everything we had been through that we had shoved aside while we were scrambling to find housing. The house certainly did not and could not resolve those issues. It was mighty depressing with the holidays right around the corner to be broke both money-wise and in spirits. It was tough to put on a happy face for ourselves or each other or for our son. Aaron was still working a ton of hours and I was still alone with Creasy most of the time. We were not able to get out and enjoy the world around us. This was not what we wanted. This is not what we had sacrificed and worked so hard for. Through it all, I had completely lost my identity. I didn't even recognize myself anymore. We were changed people. How couldn't we be? I desperately needed to find myself, rediscover who I was, not as a mom, not as a life partner, but who I was, what mattered to me, what did I want. Creasy was fully weaned around Christmas time, so I felt like I was ready to head down that path of focusing on me again. It didn't really even feel like a choice, it was a must. I wasn't a functioning human, I wasn't happy. I had to change that, but how? I decided it was time to pursue my career again, to at least look at what was out there. I eventually landed on a handful of positions that caught my eye that would be feasible to do with a one-year-old in the fold. 
There was one job in particular that I really wanted. It was a seasonal position that was focused on my exact interests and it happened to be located within a few hours of my parents in our home state. It seemed too good to be true. I threw my name in the hat and landed the job. I was so thrilled. I felt alive again for the first time in a long time. I had a part of my identity back. I had a purpose aside and separate from being a mom and a partner. So five months after moving into our home, I was jet set out of the state with our son to pursue this job. Oh, and a week or two before our flight, we found out we were expecting again. We decided that we would not tell anyone for a while and allow ourselves that time to process it first. I was very much looking forward to getting to work in my field again, and Aaron was to spend the time that he was going to get alone to reflect and focus on himself and start the healing process. Creasy and I packed our things and headed first to Chicago for Kate's college graduation. From there, we hopped on a train with my parents and headed to North Dakota. I had a couple weeks to just relax and enjoy, with, enjoy time with family before my job started, which was really nice. On Mother's Day, I had to move into the research bunk where training was taking place. My mom and I took Creasy to the zoo, and then I had to leave for what would be my first night away from Creasy ever. And on Mother's Day of all days. Talk about mixed emotions. I was happy to be reclaiming a part of my life that I really needed back. But also, the mom guilt was coming on strong too. And honestly, it was hard for me to sleep that first night without Creasy. He wasn't 100% comfortable with my parents yet, so I totally felt like I was abandoning him, but I also knew in the long run it would be okay and be healthy for both of us. I thoroughly enjoyed my work. Talk about filling my own cup. I was totally in my element and loving every second. The first day of training week immediately restored that sense of self that I so desperately needed. Being around like-minded people, People who are very much alive and turned on to the ongoings in the world and in science in particular. Getting time out in nature. Contributing to a project that had meaning and purpose. It was everything I needed and more. When we were done with the training week, my research partner and I were responsible for a portion of the project and sent to our quadrant of the state, which is my home state and where I grew up. When we were actually out doing field work, I was alone in a field with solitude and my thoughts and peace, the occasional herd of cows, and of course, bees and butterflies, as that was the focus of the study. But all of that time out, away from all the chaos of my life, was priceless to me. It was my lifeline, the beginning of my comeback. On any rain days or days we had off, I was able to take the hour and 20 minute drive back to my parents' place to spend time with my son. He was forming a bond and relationship with my parents and he also got to spend time with my brother's family and his kids. It seemed as though everything was working out. The days I had to go back to my research base for work weren't easy. Creasy would cling to me and cry and then, my, and then the mom guilt would set in again but I felt confident that he was in good hands and recovered relatively easily and was mostly enjoying his time. And I also felt like I deserved the time for me in pursuit of my dreams. Aaron, on the other hand, was struggling. In the time I was gone, we had two different renters occupy an empty room in our house to help make ends meet. We also were very empathic to people struggling to find housing especially single moms, since we knew how hard it was for us. 
So anyway, we had two different single moms living in our home with their kids, not at the same time, but back to back. It turned out to be maybe not the best situation as Aaron could have used that time alone to focus on himself. Instead, he had to deal with a difficult roommate who turned out to have way more problems of her own involving exes on drugs and all sorts of drama we really didn't need to be dealing with on top of our own stuff. It was a major distraction and nuisance for him. Then on top of it, Aaron's sister-in-law passed away from a tragic death early in the summer. We didn't really have funds to bring him home for the funeral, so he wasn't able to make it. That devastated him. His depression was at an all-time low, which made me feel guilty for not being there, but also our relationship was still strained at this time. It was tough to navigate through. We had formed a pretty codependent relationship and were trying to break free of that. I felt bad, but also I had to stick to my plan. I had to focus on my health and well-being first. He was responsible for his own. As harsh as that felt, I knew it was true. I was even more thankful for my fieldwork and time alone out in nature. Also, keep in mind that I was pregnant and we had not yet announced it to anyone. It was hard because my family knew about the strain between Aaron and I, so how was I to announce that we were expecting? I knew they would be supportive and it wasn't like I was ashamed or anything, I just didn't want to deal with outside opinions yet. Plus, I knew my mom would want me to start seeing a doctor and I didn't want to deal with that while doing field work. I felt fine, I was taking care of myself, I didn't see a doctor with Creasy until my second trimester. I just didn't want to add that to my already heaping pile. I wanted to wait until fall when I was done with my work. Plus, it wasn't clear where I would doctor and deliver. Would my insurance cover me out of state? All those fun questions. It was my full intent to doctor and deliver back in Oregon, but with how things were going, I wasn't sure it would be wise for me to return. Now let me just say that Erin and I talked just about every day and could communicate just fine about Creasy or my work or his work or our day-to-day -day life. It was just the heavy stuff that was problematic, the stuff we really needed to work through but were just not ready to. Anyway, I came up with a way to announce our pregnancy to my family. It was soon going to be my younger brother's birthday and him and his wife were also expecting with their baby due about four months before ours. We were throwing a small birthday bash for him and so I wrote in his card that his next bundle wouldn't be the littlest for long. So I basically passed the buck to him. Sorry, Ryan. The cat was finally out of the bag. My family was of course supportive and happy for us and also recognized even more why I needed extra time or extra support at this time. I was due right around Christmas. Aaron had booked his flight to arrive two days before my due date and was set to leave a couple days into the new year. It was nerve-wracking to think of the possibility of Aaron missing the delivery. That would have been devastating to both of us. Luckily, he made it in plenty of time as I delivered four days post-due date on December 27th. I was happy that he was there and supportive even though things were still weird and at times tense between us. We were able to welcome our second son, Solly Ray, into the world together. He did have to venture back, and that was of course hard on both him and Creasy, not knowing when he would see us next, as that was still all up in the air. Obviously, I was going to stay put and recover from delivery first before taking a newborn on a plane across the country, but we really didn't have a set plan of what next. Living in limbo started to drive me crazy. I was no longer working there and it started to feel like I was 16 and pregnant living with my parents. 
It angered me. I felt like I should be able to be in my own home. At a few months old, Sally got really almost fatally sick and was hospitalized for a week. It was really tough going through that as the only parent present. It started to wear on me. It didn't, I didn't feel ready to go back. I didn't feel like Aaron was ready to have us back, but we started to communicate about it more. I couldn't continue to live like I was, like I was forever without a specific purpose for doing so. I couldn't avoid dealing with my reality for other, forever either. A couple more months passed and I decided to just set a date and head back to rip the band-aid off and move forward. It was time. And on one hand, it felt very silly to be leaving my safety net of people who I knew I could lean on to something that I was that was still un, in an unpredictable state. Did Aaron and I care about each other? Sure. Did we want things to work? Yes. But we couldn't guarantee that it would. That did concern me a bit, but Caitlin was also moving to within three hours of us so I could also have her out there if I needed something as well. We packed and prepped and put my life in more boxes, said our see you laters to my parents, and on we went back to Oregon. It was bittersweet. I knew I was mostly ready. I knew Creasy was ready to see his dad more regularly, but I didn't really know what to expect. That difficult roommate was gone, so our house was back to being just ours. Aaron was happy to have us back, but it was clear that he was living in a deep, depressive state, and it was really hard to see in person. I was sad, upset, disappointed, and almost immediately went into fix-it mode and started to defunk our house. Those first few months back were rough. We were trying to figure out how to coexist again. We both had changed, but not in the same direction. We could get along on the surface level, but there was so much bubbling underneath. And when those bubbles would come up, it was explosive. So many feelings that needed to be addressed. I even had to go take a quick break at one point and stay with my sister. I think that was an eye-opener for Aaron. He had just lived for about a year and a half without us. He didn't want to lose us again. I didn't want to lose him either, but I refused to live in dysfunction. We had to figure it out. I returned home from my sisters and almost, almost like the unpeeling of an onion, we had to go through each layer to get to the core. It wasn't fun, it wasn't easy, but it was necessary. We had to realize that we still had some of the things we had fought so hard for. We still had our home, even though it wasn't in the exact city we wanted. Even though we are dealing with re reworking our mortgage to keep our house due to loads of financial strain from all the hospital stays. We still have to be grateful to have our house that we now have an opportunity to make a home. We had to redefine our relationship to what fits in the present day. We had to evaluate what that would look like, what each of our needs were, what the boundaries were. It couldn't be the same as before because we are not the same people. We had to realize that we are better together than we are apart and decide what really matters. We had to allow for some of those scars to start to heal, to be honest and raw which we really always have been, but we had to hear the other side out and try to understand the other perspective. We had to accept that we are responsible for our own happiness, even when life is hard. I am so grateful to have been able to take that field position back home near my parents, for our son to get to know them and his cousins, for us to have to experience a hard season to appreciate the time together even more now. 
Did we achieve all the things we originally set out to achieve? No, not at all. But what we experienced was a transformation. I had to kill my identities. My identity of just being a scientist. My identity of just being a mom. My identity of just being a partner, a caregiver for my family. I had to let go of all of that in order to have a rebirth of my true essence. I am no longer attached to being this or that. I am confident in who I am and where I am at in my journey. I own my story. I am stronger for it. I am burning the boats and not looking back. And making time for me and my health has to be priority number one, which isn't always easy with a busy toddler and an infant and all that life is. But I now know that it is truly my lifeline and what allows me to show up as the best version of myself for myself and my loved ones. This is my story. I share it not because I think it is oh so unique or different from other people's struggles. It is less about me and more about women sharing their experiences. With this podcast, Kate and I intend to provide a platform for women to share their stories. All women. Their stories of success, the peaks. Their stories of struggle, the craters. What success looks like for them because that can be defined differently for each individual. When I experienced my miscarriage and then I started to hear stories from other women about their miscarriage, it always surprised me even though I knew it was a common occurrence. It surprised me though because we don't talk about it. I feel like there are so many things that women go through that we don't talk about. I would also be remiss to not acknowledge that I realized that even though my journey was a hard one for me, that there is way more suffering going on in this world that goes far above and beyond anything I have been through. That there are women that go through similar things and do not even have the ability to get the procedure to end their pain and suffering. I am a white woman from a middle class family. Do I have to feel bad about that? No, but what I will do is take part in dismantling the structures and the systems that were set in place to always tip the scale in my favor just because I am white. I am not looking for empathy. Erin and I say this all the time, and I say it to my own family. I do not need pity. We made our choices and had to walk through some hard times because of it. Now, some of it was out of our control. I share my experience though because again, as women, too often we don't. And I think if we did more, if we made our voices heard more, and if it was more commonplace, the world would be better for it, if they are ready to listen. If you have a story you would like to share, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Kate will be sharing hers next. I just want to thank you so much if you sat and listened through all of that. That means more to me than anything, that you were willing to take the time to give me a stage to share my experiences with you. So thank you, and tune in next week for Kate's story.